appreciate that very much. Well, today is April Fool's Day, but it's also Easter Sunday, so you see your bulletin. Uh, guess what? You're not going to be in Romans chapter 1, so uh, you're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Surprise! So uh, you can turn that way. Uh, that's how it goes. I'll tell that story in a minute. But as you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, that's page 961 of the Pew, uh, Blue Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to uh, grab that in front of you or take it home with you. We'd rather you have a copy of God's Word than not, so please feel free to do that. Uh, just as you're turning, I want to say special thanks to our hospitality crew, uh, Christy and, and Dina and uh, Trish and Heidi and, uh, forgive me, Mercy, others, uh, uh, Val, several ladies who help cook and do things. Thanks for keeping us going at the breakfast this morning. Thank you to the worship team. Yeah, I can give them a round of applause. Thank you, ladies. And our worship team who got here at 7 a.m. for our sunrise and who have been hanging in. So, uh, if you see some of the congregation go to sleep for about 10 minutes, it's probably they were here early. Give them a break. It's all right. It's okay. But I appreciate your, your help and all those who felt make today possible. Thank you very much. Well, you know, it is one of those things that as a pastor, sometimes you, you, you prepare a message. And uh, on Saturday morning, it's like the Lord says, nope, you ain't doing that one. Sorry. Uh, so there went Romans 1. And today's message is one uh, that I had, in my, I had two dual tracks this week. I chose one, and God took the other track. So that's all right. So we're going to hear about the gospel this morning. But if you're here this morning, today we're not going to look at the evidences of how Jesus came to rise from the dead. Trust me, it's airtight. If you want evidences about whether Jesus came back and you're a skeptic here today, thank you for coming. We'd love to talk to you about that. I can give you history. I can give you Bible. I can give you all sorts of things. We're going to put that to the side. He literally rose from the dead. That's what we believe. If you want to talk about uh, the testimonies of outside people like Josephus and, and the disciples and other people, we'd love to talk to you about that. But today, today what we want to talk about is something different. We want to talk about the implications of the resurrection, what it means, because all theology, all the study of God is practical, uh, and, and it is. But as we get there, God just whipped me upside the head after a weird experience at McDonald's yesterday and just said, you know what, you're going to preach a different message. Okay. I want to be careful here, guys, who are Christians. I'm not going to preach this because it was on the heart. I want to preach this because what the Bible says. There's a big difference, I hope you see. Because I can preach lots of things that are on the heart. It's not what you necessarily need. You need to hear from the Word of God, and that's what we're here to do. So if you're visiting with us, this, uh, this weird thing called preaching, it's, it's weird. It's foolishness. A guy gets up for 40 minutes and preaches to you. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird for me, too. But you know what? God told us that through the foolishness of preaching, the message would be made known. That's what we're here to do today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you'll get there in just a second. So you see your bulletin? Again, surprise, we're not going to follow it. So I uh, hope that's all right. Uh, we're going to be Pentecostal in a Baptist world today, and life goes on. So get over it. All right. I had to say that because some of you are still giving me that look like, are you serious? Yeah, I'm being serious. Look, there's something that you do every day. In fact, you do it multiple times a day. And I think most of us don't even realize we do it when we do it. But the thing that I'm talking about really does shape the course and direction of your life. It shapes the decisions you make, the things you think about, how you live, where you go, everything. It's the foundation for your highest joys. It's the foundation for your deepest lows. It's why you say things. It's why you make choices. It's why you respond the way you do. If you're a KU fan, why you responded last night the way you do. And, but it's a human thing to do. Are you wondering what I'm talking about? Well, every day in multiple situations, multiple times, you interpret your world 
you make sense out of what is going on in your life. Because humans are made in the image of God. You were made fearfully and wonderfully. If you're struggling with your identity here today, you are made in the image of an awesome God. But you do not live life based on the facts of that experience. You live life based on the interpretation of those facts, most likely. That's why you can have two very different things happen to two very different people. Case in point. My wife debated this, but it actually did happen. I want to tell you that. So my wife loves romantic, sappy movies, you know. And we don't get out much. We really don't get out at all. And we, we watch movies, and she cries. She says she doesn't cry. She read this sermon before. I'm telling you, she cried. Don't believe what she said. She cries. So, and I'll eat something, and, I'll, and she'll be crying her eyes out, and then she'll say, how was the movie? I said, that was the best candy I ever had, you know? You see the difference of experience. That's how it happens. I'm sure that never happens to you. But it's very significant. You're always making sense of the world. In fact, I would want to say something that will surprise you. Everyone here lives by faith. Whether you are an agnostic, an atheist, a Christian, every person, irreligious, whatever, lives by faith. Everyone wants to think through what they know about the truth. They want to think that they're right, and they want everyone to believe that what they have to say is truth. Everyone wants to be sure they're making the right choices living the right way, doing the right things, but everyone wants to understand the mysteries of life. And friends, today, if you're here today, the only way to unlock the mysteries of life are to believe literally that Jesus Christ came back from the dead. Everyone lives by faith. Christians aren't different because they live by faith. We are different because we have placed our faith in the object of our faith who is the risen Jesus Christ. Now, why am I talking about this? Because what we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians 15, and Brother Brian Owens preached on this about three weeks ago in a different vein, but 1 Corinthians 15 is not in the Bible to be distant, abstract, academic, whatever, impersonal. In fact, it is meant to teach you why this resurrection is not just something to do once a year. It's something to be lived out every day. It, in fact, is theology, and theology is just a study of God and the Bible, and, and Scripture, it never ends. It, it, it should not be a means to an end, but theology should be a study to make sure how you live when you walk out of here lines up with what you believe up there. Does that make sense? And 1 Corinthians, the entire letter, was written to a church that was all over the place. You've heard that phrase, what happens in, you know it, stays in, you know it. I'm not even going to say it, you know it, Right? In fact, that's what it was. And there was a contrast made in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that says that to the cross, to those who are perishing, it is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Paul's going to argue there are two different types of people. There are those people who interpret the world, their facts, everything they do, and live by faith with foolishness of the world. And there are those who live by the true foolishness, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what he does. My point today, if you want to say, it's not even in your bulletin. April Fool's, there you go. But belief is not just something you do with your brain. Belief is something you do with your life. If you literally believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead, your whole life is going to change. How you view things, how you do things, how you think about things, and how, as I opened up with, how you interpret the facts of things. If, you're, if that is what you have, then belief is something that you live. And this is Paul's desire, it's his passion that you understand this. And the crescendo of that conversation comes here in 1 Corinthians 15, because he wants you to understand you will never, ever know what it means to live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
in your marriage, in your parenting, in your schooling, dare I say, in your social media-ing, if that's even possible to be a phrase, in your leisure, in your work, in your finances, in your sexuality, in everything you are. You will never know what it means to live in light of the gospel if you don't understand the power of the resurrection and what it means. I can give you all sorts of arguments for the resurrection. Actually, that's what we've done the last two Easter's I've been here. We've, we've looked at those arguments. Because what he argues, Paul argues, is that apart from the resurrection, our faith is useless. It means nothing. Without the resurrection, Christianity descends down to just another ism, another belief, another thing. But he wants you to understand that this is it. If you're not a Christian here today, that sounds really funny. Weird pastor guy preaching up there and spitting all over the place. You're telling me that you believe a guy died and rose again. That's exactly what I'm telling you. Wouldn't be here if he wasn't. Wouldn't stake my life on it. But that changes how I view everything. Might not change my sports teams necessarily, but by golly, it changes everything that really does matter. Are you here today and you have doubted this resurrection? You've been walking in this church for years and you have just doubted it then may this message encourage you with the facts of how you should live in light of the resurrection, how we should live as a church. If you're not a Christian, how you have to be arrested with that fact as you do. If you're visiting, this may seem odd to you, and it's okay, it's all right, but we do this in honor of God's Word. If you were able this morning, would you stand as we read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8 this morning? As I want you to look at the implications of the resurrection as it is this morning. You have your Bible in front of you, some it's electronic, some you've got to swipe, some you're turning pages, some you just have it memorized, whatever it is. 1 Corinthians 15, page 961, here it goes, starting verse 1. Now, Paul says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters here, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve, and then He appeared to more than 5,000 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles, but last of all, as to one untimely born, Paul speaking of himself, he says He appeared also to me. Let's pray as we kick off this morning. Father, as we come before you, we are reminded of the fact that all of us believe something. We orientate our lives around it. We make decisions around it. We talk about things around it. But Father, there's really only one thing that matters for life and eternity. Is Jesus really who he said he was or is he not? Father, that is the ultimate question because if he is, then our lives radically have to change. If he's not, Lord, then uh, I'm just talking out loud to a bunch of people who came together for no good reason. But Father, we are grateful that historically, that literally, that physically, that bodily, that seriously, Jesus came back from the grave. And that is our greatest hope. Father, I pray that you work your word as you only can do through the foolishness of preaching this morning. Not by my antics, not by my isms, but by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Well, you have your Bible in front of me, and I, 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 I will tell you that even as a seminary graduate and all those good things you've got a check mark in your life, this, this sermon is not going to make an A. So Nathaniel and all you preacher guys in here, don't follow this pattern, but this is how it's going to go today. He tells you there in verse 1, he says, I want to remind you, 
I want to remind you. I want you to think for a moment, what is Paul trying to remind them about here in 1 Corinthians? I mean, why would any preacher at any time ever have to remind a Christian about something as shocking, as scandalous, and miraculous as the gospel of Jesus Christ? You think something as powerful and as glorious as the resurrection and unusual, once you knew about it, you'd never have to be reminded about it again. I mean, surely... You, you know what this is like. You know when you have someone, something happen to you or something happens to someone else, what do they do? They just talk about it all the time, don't they? Mamas, in a good way, talk about their babies all the time. I had a friend the other day on Facebook say, get, get ready, defriend me if you want, but all, here comes like 100 baby pictures from the, last day of, or the first day of my child's birth. You know? That's just how it goes. So why would it be necessary for Paul to say, it's my passion to remind you of the gospel? Well, he's not talking about the fact about their theology system or, or, or that, that they would forget about Jesus. What he's talking about is not the brain. He's talking about how they live. He's talking about that they have forgotten the power and the glory and the practicality of the resurrection. What he's speaking to and is what I would call, and this phrase is not original to me, but what I call gospel amnesia. You know, uh, one of y'all posted on Facebook the other day, you were going to have an Easter egg hunt. You hide the eggs, and five minutes later, you don't even know where they are. So that's how it goes. But this is the press of everyday life in marriage and parenting and grandparenting and in career and weekly schedule. Did I exercise today? Did I take my vitamins today? That, that you would forget who you are and would forget what you've been given. It sounds just crazy, doesn't it? But that you would forget the amazing thing that God has done for you in the gospel. That God harnessed the forces of nature and controlled the events of human history. That he, he, at a certain time, sent his son to come, live a perfect life, die on a cross, receive the wrath of God, be buried, be resurrected. And he did all these different things. That it would radically change the way you view marriage, you view parenting, education, finances, sexuality, whatever, leisure. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, guys, properly understood, is meant to change every single thing in your life and mine and our churches. This is why today we are not offering you free iPhones for coming to church today. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Our church budget doesn't allow it, and the pastor's not going to allow it, so that's what it is, because the resurrection is enough. But it doesn't always. We forget what we've been given. We forget what God has done. We, we forget that Jesus conquered death so you could know life, live the abundant life, and, and a satisfying life both here and both now. You see, if you don't understand that, if you don't understand the life that's been given for you, your church or life will, will end without any meaning at all, eternally and otherwise. Because everyone is looking for life. Everyone is interested in life. Everyone is running after life. Every single person. And if you don't understand what you've been given vertically, how will you seek to live it out horizontally? Wives, look at me for a second. Young ladies, can I have your attention for just one second? If you're a wife in this room, would you raise your hand? There's a lot of wives. Husbands, take note. Ladies, hear this. Your husband should cherish you. Your husband should love you. He should nourish you, but he has no ability to give you life. No ability whatsoever. The job of your husband is not to make you happy. The job of your husband is not to give you your worth. The job, if anything, is that you are turning that poor man into your own personal Messiah. You have a Messiah. He doesn't have to be sitting right next to you right now, but it doesn't work. The burden that places on a marriage or guys, if you do that to your wife, if you try and find all your happiness in your wife, then you are losing what the resurrection teaches us. It never works. If you're a parent... 
Your children haven't been given you for you to find your identity in them. But how many walk around thinking that they're trying to live life through their parents? Man, I was not a really good baseball player or a football player or soccer player or marathon runner or, or, or academic or whatever it is, but, but I'm going to make sure that this guy becomes better than fill in the blank. And when they don't make that college team or they don't even make it to college, you think, man, was that really worth it? But you want your children to be your little trophies. You polish them up because you think that gives them worth and gives you worth. Listen, asking your children to be your identity is a miserable place to live. Trust me, I know. We're, trying, we're figuring this out at age five, three, and one. It doesn't work very well. Because our children don't get up in the morning and say, how today can I give mom and dad my worth? What could I give them to make them feel better about themselves? A stinky diaper? Sure. Arguments back? Absolutely. Won't eat my vegetables? Yes. But you're parenting little self-sovereigns who are full of themselves, and they don't really care about your identity. Your career is not meant to give you life if that's where you are. Maybe it's not parenting or marriage. There's so many things. Possessions can't give you life. Physical inanimate objects have no ability whatsoever to give you life. If you beat Bill Gates out and invented the, the next great computer, if that's even the next great thing, then you have nothing. Listen, earthly created physical things have no ability to give you life. Earth will never be your savior. It won't work. And that's what Paul's reminding them of. He's not just taking theology and saying, guys, here's 101 reasons Jesus came back from the dead. He's reminding the Corinthians this very important thing that they would recognize they have gospel amnesia. That they're making decisions that they're making. They're doing dysfunctional things they're doing that they're forgetting the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the radical implications it has for every snippet of their life and the way they live. Paul has always been a sweet and tender pastor to them. In fact, he took a low position when he wrote this letter and he longed for his people to understand rest and the joy that comes. But when you forget who you are, when you forget what has been given to you, when you forget, you are a sitting duck for temptation. And when he tells them here, you are susceptible to all the surrounding temptations of the fallen world, he means it. Because when you forget who you are in Christ, you quit pursuing what belongs to Christ. Let me say that statement again. Pardon my cold. When you forget who you are in Christ, you quit pursuing what belongs to you in Christ. Does that make sense? Now I ask you, is there anything in your life, evidence of the gospel and resurrection amnesia that you have this morning? If you're a Christian. Well, Darren, we just came here to theologically celebrate that Jesus came back from the dead. Amen, we should. Because there are churches today that are preaching a gospel that is not a gospel, that Jesus just suddenly just kind of came up in their hearts, but he never actually came from the dead. That is false gospel. That's called heresy. But do you worry a lot? Any worriers in here? Are you worrying about, you don't have to worry about raising your hand. That might be a sign right there, right? If you're looking for life where it can't be found, are there areas of your life that is unfruitful and unproductive? Nelson, can you, or can someone grab me a Kleenex? I know it's a weird request in a sermon, but uh, this cold is catching up with me. Thank you, guys. Maybe the grace that is given you today as a grace or reminder. Maybe there's a grace that you need today to remind yourself that the resurrection is true, that everything God says in the resurrection is absolutely true. Thank you, brother. But guys, that is what it's all about. Paul has already told them that Christ has come back from the grave. This is not a theological lesson. It is, guys, Christ is risen, so change your lives. 
Christ is risen. So everything you do radically goes back to that fact. Christ is risen. That affects how you vote in politics. That affects who you, who you hang out with. That affects what you listen to, what you watch. That affects how you eat your supper at night. Does the resurrection really apply to all those areas, Pastor? Friend, if you don't realize that, you may have gospel amnesia. Because we are too informed by too many other things than what has happened here and what Paul is telling him. Let me take this a bit further. Look what he says here. He goes on to say, he says, Let me remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Friends, let me be very clear. Paul is absolutely making a theological statement. This is the Gospel 101 in a nutshell. But when Paul thinks about life, he thinks about all the things that make up everyday life. It's almost like he says, the most important thing in life to me, the thing of first importance is the story, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and nothing else really matters. You know, if I were to watch the video of the last six weeks of your life, some of you all would think that's an Academy Award right away, right? And I would watch the moments when you're happy, would watch the moments when you're sad. Sorry, KU fans, that's the second plug. Woo! Watch the moments when you get irritated or angry. Okay, Mizzou fans, there's your plug too. When I watch the things that you say and do, what would we conclude? What would I conclude if you watch mine that is most important to you? Maybe it's your career and the thing that drives you is the most significant thing. Climbing that ladder. If I just work a little bit harder, a little bit harder, one day I'll be able to rest. It becomes the basis of your major decisions in life, the thing that drives you. Or, or maybe you're a single person, and the thing that drives you is, is the hope of marriage or remarriage. And you're putting your identity and your future and your hope in the fact that someone will find you or, or you'll find someone and, and you'll convince that person that you're this awesome, glorious thing they've never had in their life before, and, and they will marry you. And then they smell your dirty socks and all goes out the window just like that. What is most important to you? Paul is arguing more important than your marriage, more important than your parenting, more important than your dating life, more important than what your 401k looks like or, or your education, more important than your gifts and abilities, more important than all those things is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it a reality in your life? Now, why does he say that? I mean, he says that because of what I said, that uh, there's something everyone in this room carries around that helps them make sense of life. You all do it. You all have something that you interpret through your life. It's called your worldview. Everyone in this room is a theologian. Did you know that? Everyone in here is a theologian. You think thoughts about God more than you think. If we opened up your Facebook right now and saw your messenger, we'd know more about your view about God than you would care for us to believe. Everyone in this room is a philosopher. And you don't even have to have one of those cool portraits, you know, doing the Greek thing. You all have a worldview. Everyone in this room is an archaeologist, and you will dig through the mounds of your existence to make sense of your life. Everyone is organizing thoughts that gives tracks to run on, joy to produce, sadness to come from. Everyone. But if you call yourself a believer here today, Christian, let me remind you of this. 
Paul is arguing that the most important thing is that the gospel of Jesus Christ with the resurrection, he's risen, he's risen indeed, is at its core, is the thing you carry around now that makes most sense out of your life. Whoa. But Darren, we only do that one Sunday a year on Easter with all those bunnies hopping around. If that is how you view the resurrection Christian especially, then you don't have the power of the resurrection in your life. It'll make sense in your finances. Look, I'm convinced that a good financial existence doesn't begin with a budget. Whoa, that's bad planning, Dave Ramsey guy. A good financial existence did not begin with a budget. It begins with the gospel. Because the gospel can free you from two things. It can free you first from the love of money. It can free you because if you love Jesus and he dominates your heart, the love of money cannot. I'm serious. It'll free you from a love of money. You know, you see that little thing at the bottom of the, the ads on Ameristar and all those, you know, 1-800-BETS-OFF. You need that great. But look, Christian, if that's where you are, the greatest thing is not bets off. It's go to Jesus. Secondly, it'll free you from the lie that physical possessions can be, bring contentment to your heart. If I just get this and get this and get this and get this and get this, and, and, and my neighbor's got this, oh man, I really want that. If I get this, life is good. Debt is not first a condition of what's in your wallet. Debt's first a condition, of, guys, of what's in your heart. People spend and spend and spend and buy and buy and wrap and wrap, hoping somehow, some way, they'll be finally satisfied. Look, your life may be better up than others, and you may have more eating and shopping because you'll end up fat and in debt and very, very tired, let me tell you. But the gospel frees us from that. Listen, if you find it easier to buy a blouse that you don't need or a pair of shoes that you'll never wear more than once than you do putting money away in a church plate to support the work of the gospel, then you have a resurrection problem. And I speak all ten fingers and toes you can't see right now back at myself. Something has become more important to you than what is truly important to Christ. You know this is true for most of us. It's easier for us to spend on ourselves than it is to give in the needs of others. It's a resurrection problem. You refuse to shake your head, as do I and myself, but it's true, isn't it? Christ said, go, serve. But American culture says, go and do this. Christ says, go and share the gospel, but American culture says, we've got to be so busy that we can never have any room for Jesus except for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. Friends, that's a struggle, isn't it? And I'm the first to confess, as even as a pastor in full-time vocational ministry, well taken care of by this church as we are, that is a real struggle. Because it's so easy to bring out Jesus once a year and plop him out and say, here he is. Let's worship him. And that's a pastor resurrection problem. So what do we do? What, what do we do? I mean, this side of eternity, it's very hard to keep what God says important, important in your heart. I mean, let me say that again. This side of eternity, it is important to keep the important things, the important things. I mean, if all that matters in this life is what is coming after this life is done, why do we get so wrapped up in everything that happens right here? It's a real problem. What happens is things rise in levels of importance. Your job is very important, but it must not be the most important thing in your life. If you're married, your marriage is the second biggest decision outside of Jesus you can make, but it must not be the most important thing in your life. If you're a parent, your children are very significant. They are a blessing. What a, there are some days you may not feel like that, amen? But, but the most important thing is they're important, but they're not the most important thing. 
Do you have possessions? That's great. You must steward those possessions, but they must not be the most important thing of your life. If you are pursuing education, your education is important. But I believe in education, but this must not be the most important thing in your life. If you say, well, what about this has to be most important, then you have gospel amnesia. You have forgotten that he lives and he lives again. Because the gospel must be the means by which you understand life. Does that make sense, church? Does the fact that Jesus rose from the dead literally hit you in the pocketbook? Does the fact that Jesus rose from the dead literally hit you on your Amazon Prime watching? Does the fact that Jesus rose from the dead literally make sense about how you conduct yourself when you're around workers that cuss like sailors and you've got to feel like you've got to blend in with them to do just that? Let me be very clear. I'm not calling for some middle-class moralism. I'm calling to live the resurrected life in Jesus Christ. There is a difference. 1 Corinthians 15 is in the Bible so you would know what is most important and you would remember and shape every decision you make around the fact that your Savior is there. Man, I can think of times my wife and I, I know, I'm going to show my young age here, but my old pastor would joke with me how young I am. I know it. I get it. But my wife and I are getting ready to celebrate our eighth anniversary. Some of you are like, we did that like five decades ago, Darren. Get, get, with, the, get with the picture. But the truth is, I can remember several times looking around thinking, Natalie, you know, this is, this is crazy. You're getting married to me. I've got to do all these things for you. And I do, and I do, and I do. And even in a young marriage, how easy it is to slip out of the gospel mode and slip into worshiping my wife. Because I forgot that the resurrection informs me that Jesus is first, my wife is second. That's hard. For some of you, that's your sports teams. And I love sports. By golly, I love sports. Come talk to me afterwards. My ESPN app went off three times in Sunday school. Ask the people who were there. I don't even know what it's for. I don't care. What it is, what it is. But you understand. If you're at the end of the week and you look back and say, that was a wonderful week, why do you say that? What is it that makes you say that? Or if you're at the end of a day and you say, man, that was the worst day ever. I hope uh, I never live to see a day like that again. What is the most important thing to you? I want you to read a little bit further. I want you to see what he says. Look back at your Bibles. He tells us what it is. In verse 3, let's read there again. I want to deliver, actually verse 3, what I delivered to you as a first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Paul looks square in the Corinthian church tower view, and he says this. He says, here's the most important message. Are you listening? He doesn't want to talk about what you do for God. He talks about what God has done for you. And that's the humbling core of Christianity, isn't it? That's the foolishness, is that hope is never found in religiosity. Hope is never found in your religious duty. Hope is found in the radical thing that God loves you and has done for you despite of you. Every other religion tells you there are things you can do to achieve acceptance with God. Oh, if you pay me $50,000, I will wipe away all your sins for all eternity. Wouldn't that be nice? It'd be nice to have $50,000. It'd be nice also to have your sins washed away. Thank God Jesus came, amen? Every other religion tells you there are things you can do to achieve life. And Paul looks at them and says, no, 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 that's not it. 
The core of Christianity is there's nothing you can ever do to achieve acceptance with God. There's nothing you could do to buy life or find hope. God had to do the radical thing. First, he sent his son to live a perfectly righteous life. Next, his son had to die in your place on the cross. Next, he had to raise him from the dead to conquer sin because there's no other way to achieve acceptance with God or to know life here or to live forever on your own. And that's why this is so humbling. Because if God wanted to give you the next best thing, he would have done that. But friends, he's given you the only thing through which you interpret your whole life, and that is that Jesus Christ lives again. You know, as a sports analogy, I wish we could resurrect, you know, some of these great, I'd love to see, you know, they always have these debates. Is Michael Jordan the greatest basketball player ever? And then LeBron James comes out and says, well, I'm the greatest basketball. Well, that's not pride, buddy, at all, is it? So how do you solve that debate? I'd love just to raise everybody up and just have a showdown, you know, Wild West style, one-on-one, go at it, see who wins. That's not how this works. Here's the humbling message. The humbling message is we all die one time. The humbling message is is that there is one person who has conquered death, and it's Jesus Christ. Do you know what your biggest problem is? It's you. Do you know what my biggest problem is? It's me. It is. The greatest danger in your life is you. The thing that we need to be rescued from, are you ready, is us. Yes, sin and death and all those things. Because there's something broken inside of us. We, we try to fix it through all these things. But friends, the only thing that can fix it is because Jesus came back from the dead. That is the only thing. There is nothing else. If you're a husband and you're yelling at your wife, you're not yelling at your wife because she's a sinner. You know why you're yelling at your wife, don't you? You're yelling at your wife because you know what's inside of you causes you to do what you do. You think you're right, and she's wrong even when she's really right. Because your greatest problem is you, is sin that lives in you by Adam. The Bible says you live out your heart. The heart always shapes, shepherds, and directs the things that you do. Listen, the message of the resurrection is that God would go to such extents because we cannot rescue ourselves from ourselves. We are people in desperate need of divine intervention. There's no more powerful gospel than that of the resurrection of Christ, that he would not only die, but he'd come back and save us. Friends, I think this is probably true of most of us. You need help. I need help. You need help. But we don't like it when someone tells us we need help. Honey, do you know where you're going? Yes, I do. Leave me alone. Honey, did you pay the bill? Leave me alone. You know how this goes. Friends, we are so prideful. Thinking that we can live life, interpret life, go back to do life outside the resurrection power of the Spirit of God working through us, through His Son, Jesus Christ. We can feel defensiveness inside of us and say, well, I'm I'm not the only sinner in this room. I know things about that other person too. And you're arguing for your own righteousness. I mean, again, there are times, and I confess this, I think this confession is worth it. There are times I'll argue with Natalie when I know she's right, which is almost 99% of the time. Just because I don't want to believe there's a possibility that Darren Smith could be wrong. Now, I know you don't ever do that, but I do. You see, no one tries to convince you you are more righteous than you do. No one works to convince you that the biggest problem outside of you is not that. It's inside of you. It's sin, and it had to be dealt with. 
Friends, if you're having gospel amnesia problems today, you need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, open my eyes that I may see, that I may see that the humbling message of the gospel is that I'm in desperate need of outside help. There is no one in this room who's free and not in need of resurrection grace this morning. Let me say that again. There is no one here that is not in need of resurrection grace except all of us. That's why I think this is important, the humbling message, because you can never celebrate. He is risen again unless you accept the bad news of why that is. Friends, I just want to remind you of that. And I will confess to you, I need that help every day. If the extent of believing in the resurrection has only hit your head, Christian, you need to pray that it hits your heart. I've not graduated from my need of the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ because I cannot defeat sin on a daily basis. One of our uh, Sunday school people said this well. He said, you know, I might pray and get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm going to live for you today. And two minutes later, I'm back in my seat saying, Lord, what did I just do? And that's why he tells them, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel in which you stand, in which you're being saved. If you, what does it say? It says, hold fast because there is a spiritual war going on in each of your hearts. And everyone in this room is living between the already and not yet. And there's a war going on, and it's fought on the turf of your heart. It's fought on the turf of your heart that says there are more important things than believing Jesus is enough for my life. And church, that happens to our church as well. If we just get the right preacher, the right gimmicks, the right program, the right date, and set all the right conditions, then all the people will come and see us. Hogwash. The only power that we have as a church, the only power you have as an individual, is by believing that Jesus came back from the dead. Do you believe that? And the goal of that war, the core of that war that will rule your heart, is really how you view the resurrection. Is it just great, man, I got saved today? Or is it, Lord, that parenting I need to be better at should be shaped by the resurrection of Jesus Christ? My education, Lord, should be shaped by the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, this passage is not meant to be abstract and impersonal and academic theology. In fact, theology of the Bible is always meant to be practical. Theology is not an end of itself, but theology is a means to an end. And good theology doesn't just define God. It does. It should. But good theology redefines how you view yourself as a child of God. If you're a Christian here today, you have already been saved. The victory's won. Death is defeated. It's done. Don't let the world take you another way. Don't let the world tell you that, that good theology doesn't just, it stops with thinking, friends, it impacts every part of your life. Told you it was going to be a different message today. That was like seven points in one, man. But one thing you need to know this morning is that belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a lifestyle that changes everything in your life. Everything. Well, Darren, I, I, I have liberty in Jesus to watch this movie. I'll just skip the bad parts. How does the resurrection of Jesus Christ inform that in your life? Well, well Darren, I, you know, uh, I've saved up for this uh, $150,000 boat. I know God's calling me to go serve overseas, but I just got to buy this boat, man. You, I got to race on Smithville Lake. It'll take me five seconds to get from one end to the next, but that's a good five seconds. What is it? Christian, if you're here today, would you pray 
more than anything else, not just for the arguments for the resurrection, again, they're there, not just for the evidence, it's there. Would you pray that the power that you believe is happening this day is a reality every day? Because let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to walk out of here, and you're going to go eat, probably. Amen. We're Baptists. We do that a lot. We did it this morning. Praise the Lord. You're going to eat. You're going to watch a show. You're going to talk to your family. And probably most of what has just been said today is going to go in one ear and out the other. Church, we need to pray that our message, our hope, our drive, our passion is that Jesus is not just once a year at Easter, but it's every day you wake up. And if you're not a Christian here today, you have no reason to live unless Jesus Christ lives. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we want to talk to you about that, not twist your arm, not beat you over the head. I don't have big muscles anyway. I call them pipe cleaners for a reason. They are what they are. But the gospel is worth it. Christian, is the resurrection merely academic to you, or has it really hit the deepest recesses of your soul? Let's pray this morning. Father, as we come before you, Lord, I confess uh, this would uh, get an F in most preaching classes because of the fact that it's not structured and it's blah, blah, blah. But Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for our families. I pray for individuals, widows, widowers, young, old, still in high school, still in middle school, somewhere in between, single, married, divorced, whatever. Father, I just pray that for each of us here that truly know Jesus, that as we celebrate the resurrection, that it is not just something that happens here. It is something we live every day. And thank you so much. There's so many faithful folks in here who, who by your grace, even through uh, struggle with sin, seek to do that. Father, invigorate us. When we have the, 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 the Easter letdown of Monday morning or Tuesday morning, Lord, and all the rush of emotion that comes from a special day fades away, Father, may your spirit remind us that that resurrection power is not just because the church calendar says it's April whatever or March whatever. It's because Christ rose again. And thank you that he did. Thank you we are saved, Father. Thank you that the, the payment has been accepted. Thank you that all other religions are just hogwash. Buddha's dead, Confucius is dead, Hinduism's false, Mormon, you run the list, Lord. We thank you that only through Jesus we have this hope. But we pray that we are not to be pitied by most of men because we have some esoteric knowledge in our heads, but we don't see it practically in our lives. Father, let the change that needs to happen in our community of Grace Moore and Randolph and wherever we live in our neighborhoods, let it start with the reminder that your spirit lives within us and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is that which propels us. Father, for those Christians who are non-Christians in this room, Lord, I just pray you draw them to Christ. Thank you for Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.